You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. I watched Picard, the last episode. I finally did it. First off, I am so proud of you. Congratulations. Thank you. I, I know it was a struggle. I know you were like, <laughs> but if I watch it, then in some way that means that it's over and I'm done and, and then he's gone. And no, thank you. Good job. I'm proud yeah. of you. Yeah. Yeah. And I also knew that it was going to be a tearjerker. I had that gut feeling. And so I had to wait until there were no children in the house. And Dave was off doing something because I don't cry in front of people. And I knew I was going to be crying with this one. And I did. I like cried like a ugly little baby. So you didn't want to ugly cry in front of the family. That's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I want to hear y'all's thoughts about it. I have thoughts, but I want to hear y'all's. Oh, man. Um, bear with me. And the reason why is because um, selfless, sh- uh, shameless self promoter uh, as I am. Um, I wrote an article about it, so let me grab it, because I have the exact words that I felt when I saw it. <laughs> um, nice. Well, while but, you're grabbing it, I'll, I'll yeah. fill in, because um, I don't have I don't have too much to say um, on it. I'm, uh, A, I mean, congrats on finishing it. The timing is is great for you, since it, it's not too far away till we're getting uh, uh, the continuation of, of where this is all going. Um, I... Overall enjoyed the first season, the finale. I thought the finale for me felt like that's where the show could have began. I could have almost done without most of the season. Maybe just like, I don't know. I don't know. It, it was a lot of it felt slow going to me until it got to towards the end of things. And then like the finale is great. Um, and, and one of my biggest issues that I had with just Jean-Luc is that something about him, I just felt like he was very much almost like a Magoo-esque version of himself, a Mr. Magoo-type <laughs> character through a lot of, of this season. Um, but I feel like it finally got somewhere in the latter half of things. And and, and yeah, and the finale um, was just excellent fire for, for so many things to come. Fantastic. Magoo. I don't think I can think of him now as anything other than that, a Magoo Captain, of himself. Captain Jean-Luc Magoo. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, so holistically, the whole season, I loved it. Um, a lot happened. They they crammed a lot into this series, but my biggest issue with it, first off, let me give the good first. Okay. What they did for data, they did data right. Because... The fact that the fact that they gave him a, a proper ending and they gave him a human ending because what was his goal to be human and they let him they let him die mm-hmm. instead of keeping him alive essentially like on um on like artificial life support like they, they basically let him have a respectful end because nemesis as much as I love all Star Trek Star Trek nemesis did not do him right and like that movie was not good. And, like, the whole dialogue between him and Picard was magnificent. The fact that he said to him that they said to each other that they loved each other. Like, oh, man, just gut punch. And, like, I ugly cried at that. And, like, because Data's my favorite. And, like, it was just absolutely wonderful. Um, However, 
<laughs> Jean-Luc Picard dies. Allegedly. And then wakes up. Oh, look at me. I'm alive. <laughs> I'm a robot. I'm a robot. The, the golem that Dr. Soon made for himself, he instead gave to Picard. So, as Data was fond of saying, he is an android. Though apparently a very human one that will expire. It isn't augmented in any way. But the final real goodbye happens now as Data asks Picard... Uh, to end his brain simulation, basically euthanizing him. Uh, Data believes humanity and life is meaning pre uh, precisely because it can end. Of course, the song playing at the, as this happens is Data's favorite, Blue Skies. I'm reading this from my article. Um, it was a great way to end season one, but like it, it really, it was a really, really weird, we're going to use another uh, Mac word. Instead of Magoo, it's going to be MacGuffin. Um, mm. his, his disease that he had I can't remember what the disease was called, the brain disorder, right? Mm -hmm. why, why create that brain disorder if you're just going to have him die and then turn around and putting him in in a robot body? Like you literally just, you didn't have to have him die. It, I, I felt that it cheapened that ending. I felt that you end up like having him die, not for nothing, but kind of for nothing and it just it felt really really cheap and i didn't like that that that's where they went with it because it was more like hey you know what we need to do we need to have a, a scene where all the actors cry i feel like all it was like it was like <laughs> written in their contract they're like i'm not doing this shit unless you let me cry on screen and they're like all right well we'll kill kill picard you can't kill picard the show's called picard yeah we'll, we'll bring him back he'll be a robot or something i don't i don't know it just it really felt cheap and it really irked me but not so much that I'm like, well, screw this series. It was just like, eh, this could have been better. But I, I don't know. Like there was, so, there was too much good in this series for me to be like, just completely brush it away. But man, that robot crap, ugh, that Android thing, like, oh, but you're an Android, but you're not really an Android. You're actually going to die eventually. It was like, no, but. But they well, kind had... of, didn't they kind of like, hint to that all along. I mean, the whole show was about robots. Yeah, um, I, that's a good point. Maybe I just didn't, I didn't see that. I was too busy nerding, <laughs> nerding out because we got to see um, Troy and Riker have like this like perfect marriage and they were just adorable. And like poor Riker though, man, <laughs> like, I don't know if you guys noticed this or not, but like seeing him act the way he did around their daughter because they lost their son like that was so expertly acted. He was so yeah. much bigger and more gregarious than the Riker that we knew from the series and from the movies, because yeah. you can tell that the trauma of losing their son, Tad was just like, the weight was just unbearable for him. And like, whew, Lord. See, I think, I think this is a part of where there was this sort of like riff in the writing that you had these, you had these family, generational elements you had these elements about what you know well what is life because it was this kind of just again this 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 odd feeling to begin with of suddenly we're back with john luke but like but it's but it's not the world we know you know with john luke in and and we very much saw him in a world that he didn't know for a lot of reasons um and and i also like again with for, for me feeling that there was just so much of this unloaded on the sec the latter part of things that that made sense to me I think you're right, Mike, that there could have been like I, I and I also think you're right as well, Mariah, that I think I think it could have been something that didn't necessarily mean Jean-Luc had to die, but it could have been something that showed, you know, he was 
potentially going to die. And there could have been this sort of transfer sooner in the season, written into the season that showed him no longer being the man he was. I think like I think that could have been done sooner to not not be like he said this kind of like overly overly sappy thing that that felt a little shoehorned in yeah mm. yeah i think they used it as a sense of urgency and he could have could have just used the the rest of the story as a sense of urgency i don't think you needed to play on the the illness so much yeah i also feel that um let me since i basically crapped on the ending um <laughs> One of the things I said there was so much good about this show. This show dealt with trauma in a way that Star Trek has never dealt with trauma before. Mm. And it was outstanding. Discovery peaked at it a little bit in uh, it was season one. Yeah, season one with Ash Tyler when he starts having PTSD flashbacks when they're on that Klingon ship and he freezes and like just doesn't know what to do with himself. Now, granted, we find out later that he's actually a Klingon Vogue. It's a whole thing. But like in that moment, I was like, this is the first time we see that like all this heroic stuff that all these like Enterprise and Discovery crews deal with is actually really traumatic. And like these people are human, regardless of how far into the future they are, they still have human emotions and trauma doesn't just go away because you have a phaser. And like we saw that. We saw that with Rios, like Rios. It, it has needed some therapy for sure. Same thing with Rafi. Rafi needs therapy too. Oh my and, gosh, Rafi was amazing. <laughs> yes. And they were such well-rounded characters. Yeah. Yes. And like, yeah. like Hugh, for instance, Hugh was a, an incredibly well-rounded character. We got to see the the made of uh, of platinum Jean-Luc Picard crumble because of a panic attack in a Borg ship. That that's that's bold. That is some bold writing. And I will give the writers credit for that, because, like, think about him from before. He cried like once or twice in the entire series. Once was after the Borg uh, had assimilated him and he's with his brother and he's talking about how he wasn't strong enough, which is like, yes, OK, he's got emotion. But that's also some real misogyny there, too, where it's like men have to be strong and they have to be able to defeat everything that hits them like. This is grown, and this is what I love about these about New Trek is that it's it's grown with us, and it's showing us that like these these coping mechanisms that we had were not healthy before, and like it's okay to hug people, it's okay to be like I can't function, I need to go lay down like Rafi did, and then Rios came and saw her. Like I mean that's that's amazing that they're showing people that like in all these strange times, love and compassion is the key to helping others. Yes. Yes, to all of that. And while it was weird to have Picard die and come back as a cyborg, um, I was super, I don't know what's the word, gratified to see him as Picard making the, the, the supreme moral choice and succeeding in it when he's showing self-sacrifice at the very end, almost as a chess move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, another aspect that I really enjoyed, too, is that we saw I'm trying to think of the right word for for his personality uh, quirk that he has where um, he always has to be right and he always has to be morally correct. And he's always taking the high road. He did this a lot whenever he would have his speeches. Like, is that I, what pretentious? I, like I pretentiousness? <laughs> no, I mean, I feel like he earned it, though. Is Picard pretentious? 
Well, is that uh, what we're saying? I mean, this was this was a part of where, and and I think it also had to do with maybe like the timing of just sitting and watching Picard when I did that. That as much as I wanted to be like from the get go, like Jean Luc, let's see what's gonna happen. There were so many moments, particularly in like the first two three episodes, that it's like. Jean-Luc, you seem like an old privileged man who's not understanding <laughs> that you can't just get what you want. Like, yeah. stop. Stop yeah. being so stubbornly old, white, and privileged. Please, Jean-Luc. Oh. Like, I don't want this from you. When Rocky called him humorous. out, when Rocky yes. called him out, and she goes, oh, that was a nice speech with you sitting in your friggin' <laughs> estate in France <laughs> with your winery and it your books like, in the background. On, like, yeah. <laughs> But like his line of I let perfect get in the way of good. I was like, damn. When does he say that? I mean, it was so long since I've seen the first, you know, because I saw it was, it was well into the series at that point, because like yeah, he was, he was, he was basically talking about like when he left Starfleet because of things weren't going his way. And mm-hmm. he kind of he kind of threw his fit. And like he was he was explaining that he was wrong. He's like, I let perfect get in the way of good saying that he should have never left and like the, the damage that he did because of his own sheer fucking hubris, which mm-hmm. is one of the greatest lines of that series. Like, I love that Admiral, by the way. I want it on a coffee mug and maybe I'll take it into work. <laughs> oh, that's outstanding. The sheer fucking hubris. Like, it's beautiful. I just, I just love how he just walks in there and is like, I need a ship. And I, need I it a crew. was just like, oh my, come on, man, John. <laughs> <laughs> And then I'm just sitting there of like, put him in his place, woman. Please, please. Like, she, he doesn't deserve this right did. now. She enjoyed every minute of that, too. You can you can tell that she's been like, I've been wanting to tell this sumbitch <laughs> off for, for decades. His smug butt sitting on that carpeted bridge of the Enterprise. I can't wait to tell him. Like... I think it's a part of what had me so conflicted, which I guess ultimately is a really good thing, because it was just like, this isn't what I want to see this guy doing right now. Come on. Yeah. And so... Yeah, no, it was great. I'm looking forward to more. Well, listeners, this has been our cold open. We've been chatting about Picard and stay tuned for Trek Talk. Thank you for listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Make sure you check out our website, greatgeekrefuge.com, for all of our awesome articles and wonderful podcasts. listeners to our second episode of Trek Talk, which is a working title, by the way, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Today, we're talking about disco. I mean, STD. I mean, Star Trek Discovery, specifically season four. So first, let's greet our panelists with us again. We have BJ Robinson and Mike Lensford. BJ's pronouns are he, they. They're an arts educator based in San Diego, a union actor, church choir director, and creator and host of Tough Talk, a platform that focuses on getting comfortable with the uncomfortable through community conversations. For more info, search 
at WillBJRob or at Tough.Talk2020 on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Round of applause for BJ. Hello. And we also have Mike Lunsford, editor-in-chief of our website, Great Geek Refuge. His pronouns are he, him, and his. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. And I, dear listeners, am Mariah Beachford. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a playwright, theater actor and director, and queen of a very artsy, geeky family with three teenagers. Ta-da. Hooray, yay, Mariah, woo! All right, so a couple seconds ago, I talked about the fact that Trek Talk is a working title because um, about an hour ago, I discovered there is a Trek Talk podcast that has like a gazillion listeners. And so we now get to, for our listeners, brainstorm some fun, exciting names for this podcast. Something uh, we've been tossing around is maybe... um, uh, Trekkie Gab Session or New Trek. It's like Old Trek, but spiffier and with more CGI. Any ideas? Anything? It's like Old Trek without all the weird Greek god uh, analogies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, there's um, Trexperts, which is a fabulous name. It already oh, exists. That is nice. Yeah. I like that. I'm a big yeah. fan of the pawn anyways. Or the portmanteau. I also I, I love a portmanteau where you, where you mash two words up together. That's always a good one, too. Yeah, yeah, so if you don't have any ideas now, we can table it and come back to it later. But if you have ideas, please share them. I'll think on, but maybe, I mean, it's the, it's always the first thing that you throw at a wall, right? Trek chat, you know, just Trek chat. Yes. Yeah, I don't think that exists yet. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, what what's what does Shakespeare say? What's in a name? Rose by any other name would smell as sweet. I mean, our conversations are still going to be great no matter what we call it. But as long as it's not like three dorks talking about Star Trek, I mean, like, let's stay away from that. <laughs> Self-deprecating names. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my listeners, the cool thing about disco. Star Trek Discovery is that they are taking a hiatus. So we get to savor these first episodes and all of their magnificent emotional glory before we go into the slide to the season finale. Um, They'll come back on February 10th. And I asked our panelists to think of some topics that they're dying to talk about. And BJ, if it's all right, I'd like to start with yours because it's, it's, super important and very central to discovery and that is the new norm in diversity and inclusion do you want to tell me a little bit more about that sure absolutely um you know i you know, it's it's like the short back background for myself um i grew up uh, mostly sitting um, with my my mom uh, watching first it was uh, star trek next generation um, and then some of the films, uh, then I went back on my own through, uh, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, um, and, and I mean, at this point, I think still easily Star Trek Discovery is, is my absolute, um, favorite. Uh, and one of the things that I've been saying about it is that I feel that it should be the sort of new measurable norm on how to have brilliant, bold, authentic, representation, diversity, and inclusion 
in our arts, period, be it on film, be it on stage, uh, that, that I think they're just doing a phenomenal job with it. And I mean, obviously, Star Trek has its own great, great, beautiful history about representation and diversity and inclusion on so many levels. And it's also had its challenges um, along the way, including notable interviews that have been given throughout the years. I think it was like with early 90s um, when uh, there was a talk with um, Roddenberry about you know, having to him having to have his own uh, change of views on on being a, someone who was more homophobic and and understanding um, how how to progress that. And actually, there's a whole lot of nuance for for those that really want to get into it. I'm not going to get into all of it right now on many times that different people, particularly in the writers rooms, as well as a lot of the actors were trying to get greater representation into Star Trek, especially getting the push for LGBTQ characters. Um, and there were vows that it was going to happen in this season or it was going to happen in this iteration. And it really took um, so much longer than than as long as you would hear about the fight happening for it to finally manifest in um, uh, Deep Space Nine is really where, where there started to be a bit more um, just great display of representation and and tackling those those stories um which is wild I, I mean i just i can't believe that it actually took star trek that long in itself before it could manifest it but bringing it back up to discovery if you if you are aware uh and even if you're not from the get-go discovery brought us um a gay couple um on our ship, uh, in our faces, having their own beautiful uh, love story. And at this point has also gone so far as to give us non-binary representation um, as well as uh, trans representation. And I don't want to give too much uh, I don't like I don't want to get too much into just like going and reading episode by episode. But one of the things that's really great about this past season, um, there was an interview uh, in an article in Variety uh, that you can find on Variety.com. And I'll send a link for this um, back from 2020, uh, where uh, they spoke with the uh, actors and writers uh, of Star Trek Discovery um, around uh, mainly around uh, Adira, who is the uh, human non-binary character, uh, and Gray, uh, who is a trans trill uh, character uh, on the show. And uh, one of the things that I thought was really neat um, that was revealed is that the writers' team did not have anyone who was non-binary or trans uh, on their team, but what they did, what any artistic team that's ever wondering, like, how do we appropriately, authentically, safely, um, and successfully bring different diversity and representation into our program, they brought in their actors uh, who were going to play these roles. And they made sure to let them uh, essentially lead as much as they'd like to in helping to make this happen with the writers and with uh, the producers. Um, it, it's not as common nowadays for production companies to think that you can have your artists be a part of your, um, your, your leadership, your creative leadership, your executive leadership, if you don't have someone to offer that voice in any other way. Um, you know, it's a, ridiculous parallel in some ways to what we're seeing right now in this country with the Supreme Court and this talk of Breyer uh, or this you know announcement of Breyer 
retiring. Um, and a lot of people feeling a lot of ways about the president saying that there's a vow to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court. Well, there's never been a black woman on the Supreme Court in its entire time of existence. How is this country supposed to have a court system, the highest court in the land, that understands its people and its citizens if it's never had the representation of some citizens on it? And black women aren't the only ones in that, that case. It's the same thing in a show. How are you supposed to have that successful representation in your in your uh, storytelling if you don't have it on the creative and directional side? And if you don't have it on that side, then start where you do have it. If you know you want to write these characters and create these characters, find these artists and actors and let them come into all sides of the aspect so that when you're writing these stories, you can keep it authentic and appropriate. You know, the actors express how important it was to not just create characters that are going to walk out a door and suddenly announce their name and their pronouns, because that wouldn't be an authentic way to tell the story. That's not what happens in our real world uh, it's for when we are out and about in our just daily lives. Um, and and that is that's you know, that's a truth for queer people. That should be the truth for the queer characters and the queer stories that are being put on screen. Um, and and there's just such a fantastic uh, uh, growth that's happening with their stories right now, especially in this season. I, I it's where I, I think I'd said in our chat earlier how I cry in <laughs> every episode mm -hmm. um, because there are just so many moments that that this series especially has has made me has made me feel seen um, in ways that I haven't experienced in in so much of of the art and theater that I've even been a part of. Um, but they've really just I think knocked it out of the park with with what they're doing on Discovery right now. Um, the representation is just it's it's not just through the roof, but it's bold and it's authentic, and so it really celebrates these truths. First of all, BJ. I love listening to you. Every time you talk, I learn from you and um, you inspire me. So thank you for being here. And also, I want to add to that because one of the things that they chose to do with Gray is to have Gray exist as a whole person with wants and feelings. Um, mm -hmm. And so Gray expresses to Adira that they want to go and do, they want to go to trail. Um, and not just exist for Adira, which they've been doing all this time. And so that idea of seeing them as a as a person with their own wants and goals, I think that just furthers exactly what you're saying. Basically not fridging them and making them exist for their spouse or partner. Yeah. And 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 there was another, you know, the other element just on that too that that I like one thing I wanted to point out that I thought was so smart is that with Adira and Gray their characters were brought in, um, you know, on on the same storyline, not necessarily just like one right after the other, but but meaning they were brought in together. And and I mean to say that there was a move, a choice made to build greater diversity, greater authentic representation, and it wasn't trying to put all of that on the back of one individual. And that's so important. I think there's constantly a measure where it's like, well, if we want to be bigger and better, we need to do it with one. And when that happens, there's such a weight on all sides of it of, of is this one 
individual going to tell all of these stories? Is this now going to be the one new normal way that everyone looks at whatever this focus and this highlight is? Um, and that's such a challenge for everyone, um, even from the start with Discovery, when when we got uh, Stamets and Colbert. You know, again, it wasn't just one individual having to come in and be all of this representation all on their own. Um, and and that's so, so important that, that we do it being able to to not just celebrate what it is to to be uh, who you are and to have that representation, but that you don't have to do it alone and to show that you can do it with these different levels of connection, be it a married couple, be it um, a different kind of love, because all love forms of love are absolutely valid, um, or even with, and I'm like blanking on her name, um, the other uh, a, a doctor or engineer um, who uh, she's, her character isn't out lesbian because she was married, but her spouse, her wife died, and, and then they found her, uh, you know, on that, that shipwreck. Take, oh, Jet, Jet Reno. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, Tig Notaro is the actress, but Jet Reno is the character, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Reno. That's what I was trying to think. Um, that that like there's there was an important just aspect, even in having that of knowing that like oh Reno was married to her, but she died. That that like that that companionship is so it's so it's such a nuance that that makes so much of a difference. Yeah. And we don't I, get stuck with tokenism. I gotta yeah. say too, speaking of tokenism, um, one of the things that I love, and this is gonna sound strange, it sounds like a backhanded compliment, but I love that Stamets is an asshole <laughs> because instead of it being like the, Oh, he's the big friendly gay character. That is the stereotype of pretty much every TV show, not star Trek. Like Stamets is not likable. He's kind of an ass. Yeah. Like, he's arrogant. Like he's like, and, and to see Colbert love him for who he is, but also remind him, Hey, Paul quit acting like a dick. Like he does that on a regular basis. <laughs> and like, it's it's that's so much more real. And I and I wrote this. I wrote an editorial uh, on GGR about this, where it's something that I really appreciate about this show that these characters are real as shit. These are real people. These are not stereotypes. These are not like we're we're checking a box here so that everybody thinks that we're inclusive. Inclusive. Like I, I spoke about it earlier today on another podcast that like it, it's it's tantamount to so many of these characters and so many of these shows to corporations making their logo rainbow colored for 30 days. And as soon as that 30 days is up, it goes right back to the way it was before. And it's just performative nonsense. It's not actually making any change, but discovery is not doing that. These, these are actual changes. These are actual things that they're doing to blow these norms apart. And it's fantastic. And like quick unrelated Star Trek note, have both of you seen this show reservation dogs? I've seen a few episodes and I love it. Not yet. Yeah, okay. Not yet. <laughs> the reason I bring this up is because one of the kids on the show meets a older Native American man uh, and he's introducing himself and he's like, hi, you know, my name is so-and-so. My pronouns are he, him. And it's Wes Studi, the actor. Like he's he's played a million Native American roles in movies for, for decades. As soon as you see him, you'll recognize him. His response to the kid saying this is, oh, no shit, me too. And like it was such a great response. And I was like, that's. <laughs> That's fantastic because it could have been handled a completely different way of what do I care about your pronouns, boy? No, it was. Yeah, cool. Yeah, me too, man. Like it was just it was dope. And like I love that Star Trek's doing this, that other shows are starting to do this, too. Like that this is just going to be a thing. And like it's it's going to become a thing that's not. 
for the regular norms out there like me, you know, your regular generic looking white dude who's heterosexual, like pronouns don't matter to us because they never have had to. But like for that solidarity for us to show that like we're I'm like I make a point of doing it at work because I'm like this is, you know, in my email signature because I want everybody to know in solidarity that I'm willing to fight for this because I know that other people have had to fight for it too. And the fact that other shows and other avenues are starting to do this because it's important. It's just it's dope. It's it's super exciting. There was a really um organic moment uh, in in the show with Adira um explaining preferred pronouns. And 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 it's so neat because it <laughs> it's it, you know it's not it's not like it's a major storyline in terms of anything happening with 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 you know the actual day to day things, but there, it's 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 a moment for Adira because it's important for Adira and and it actually was uh, a sort of mirror, I guess, if you will, a mirror verse um, to. Um, <laughs> the actor's real life because when they first booked the part on discovery they were not out with their non-binariness their their truth to their own parents and so there there was an importance and and calculated design and practice put into the writing that allowed the characters to have again this great authentic organic story and then so allowed the people to have their own authentic organic lives um with with some great mirrored nuance to to just again keep it in that appropriate celebrating style you have the best information about these people's backstories i was really excited to get to talk about this Yay! <laughs> i mean that's that's fascinating so what is what is the actor's name who plays adira i feel like i should know this um, I'm trying. It's like I, I should have wrote everything down. So they, um, so they were not out to their own parents when they started working on when, Discovery. When they, when they had booked the part, yeah. Holy smokes! Wow. Can, I mean, it's and you can it, it's it's hard to even try and you know imagine that that challenge of I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll sure I'll I'll take up this thing that that I want for myself um as well as i think is the right way to go but i don't think i can fully step into that genuinely or can i or can't i and wait what is this going to mean you know i i thought i wasn't I, i'm gonna it's like a well it's a quick story on myself at least with my own art and theaters i i saying before we got started i'm not currently doing a lot right now in theater because you know still in a plague and dealing with that in san diego as it is um but I did a professional show. This would have been four years, four years ago, um, four and a half or so years ago. And when I I got booked to play a character who was a a gay high school music teacher that was originally from the East Coast, but had moved out to the West Coast. And I was like, that's great, because I'm a gay music teacher who moved out to the west coast from the east coast so it was like i can identify with a lot of these things <laughs> um the character was not explicitly written to be of any particular race or cultural background and as we were going through the work there were a lot of moments where it became clear that the writers never considered the possibilities or even understood the how the nuances might be impacted if this particular character were 
a, a black man, a gay black music teacher. Mm. And um, <laughs> there were multiple times when I'd have to kind of just speak up on like, hey, so this doesn't work and doesn't really feel comfortable or appropriate and, you know, explain these different reasons that would be like, this is, uh, speaking as a music teacher, this wouldn't happen. As, as a black man, this wouldn't necessarily be the way that this might be said. And as a gay man, these are ideas that we would avoid comparing ourselves to. And the writers just kept saying like, well, just, just trust us. Well, just trust us. Just oh trust my gosh. Us. But you, you exist as that character in real life. And I guess they <sighs> never thought that maybe they could just trust you and your uh, wisdom that you've earned. It, it was mind blowing to me that, that like, how do you keep thinking, you know, like, and they had no problem also admitting, because I would ask them, did you talk to any music teachers or black men or gay men about this? Well, no, but just trust us. And it's like, you realize you are two straight men who are not black <laughs> and you keep telling me to just trust you in knowing these experiences without ever, it was, yeah, it was really difficult. Um, and, and it, I mean, it, it put a, a different kind of, uh, uh, filtering on, on what I've done in terms of choosing roles and being a part of theater, because there really are so many of these, these other layers to it that, you know, like you're saying, like with pronouns, if you haven't had to, if it hasn't necessarily impacted you before, then then you might not consider it, and that's okay. But if you can be mindful about how this is going to impact those who live it and experience it already, you know, then know when to to follow, know when to lead. And and Star Trek Discovery really seems to to be doing a lot better with that than the Star Trek franchise has done over the decades. So yeah. a follow up question to you, BJ, about Gray. Where do you see Gray going next? I'm really excited to see Gray have some kind of adventure and contribution to Discovery besides what we saw in the last episode. Where do you see Gray? What, what would you guess Gray is going to do next? I I have no idea. Um, and uh, for the record, Gray, played by Ian Alexander um, and uh, uh, um, uh, Blue Del Barrio uh, is the uh, actor playing uh, um, Adira. I, oh man, I don't know. Um, it was so, you know, beautifully and brilliantly cliffhangy on just like, what's, where, where are they, where are they going? They're going to be on two different paths. Um, I, oh man, I, I, I kind of hope that Gray maybe goes to, um, the Academy goes, goes to, 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 uh, to end up as a student and possibly, uh, you know, just bringing us like a reason to be a little bit more back at, at Starfleet. Awesome. Okay. We're going to switch tracks, tracks. That was a pun. That was that an was unintentional pun. I loved pun. it. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about Star Trek as the new horror genre, because there's an episode in this season I almost peed my pants. It was terrifying. It was like I could feel my skin break out in goosebumps. And I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Mike? I'm just waiting to hear because like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to say something. You'd be like, no, this. And I'm like, oh, oh God. <laughs> so when poor little Wally Dot <laughs> starts, and I, I read that it's not my... My reference to Wally, Den of Geeks, I believe, said it, and I like 
now I can't see dots as anything other than Wally. But when Wally Dot starts dissolving and shrieking and like the dissolve is slow, so you know they're like it's I'm starting to tear up and like it was very it was very hard to watch. Especially too, because now that we know that Zora, the computer, is attached to these and feels yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? All the more mm-hmm. reason. All the more reason that this is this is horrifying. Now Discovery's done this before too. There was an episode in season one when they meet the tardigrade the first time and they go on to the USS Glenn, which is the Discovery's sister ship. And they see the tardigrade. And it's basically like a, like a, like a slasher film. Like they've done, yes. they've, they've done horror well and they, and they shoot it well too, because they did that in a scene in season two when Captain Pike has to get the, the time crystal and he has to see his fate and like, yeah, they they know how to shoot horror well. I enjoy horror, so I am delighted. As as viscerally um, terrifying as that was, it was so good. Yeah, it, it was. It, it felt really fucked up. <laughs> it's like, oh no, I hate this. I'm hating this void. I I kept wanting like a Thanos voice to just like start laughing, just to feel like, okay, there's finally like I. It, it was such a like. What is this? What is it? What's there? What's there? What's there? You know yeah. what's scarier than something? Nothing. Because, like, <laughs> it, to, to delve into my own, like, things that scare the crap out of me, like, the whole, like, religious concept of, like, okay, you know, maybe there's a God, maybe there isn't. What if there's nothing after you die? And that's still just, like, whew, man, I don't even like talking about that. That's just, like, the concept that the idea that there's nothing is frightening. <laughs> and now we're gonna sit here and think for a moment, and there you go, and ponder our existence. Uh, go ahead and uh, marinate on that one. Yeah. <laughs> if if you if you like your your good horror that that especially leaves you trying to figure out what the f is really going on and what does that thing look like. Um, <laughs> it's like a side note that I, I I would suggest is one of my favorite horror movies, An American Haunting. Have you seen that one? Uh, it's like 2005. Donald Sutherland stars in it. I don't it's, think so. It's based on um, like a legend of the Bell Witch, uh, which is a whole thing. But the thing that's great about the film is that there's this girl mainly who's being haunted by this entity. You never see anything like there's no CGI used to create the thing whenever it's attacking the girl. It's all just music and sound effects and acting. Um and and it's not like bloody acting, but it's it, oh my god, it's the creepiest thing because you're constantly wanting to just like see this thing, but it's yeah. never there. And the score to it is is great. So that's why American I Hunting. that's why I absolutely love the Blair Witch Project, the original one from like 1999. Oh yes, yeah. Because mm-hmm. that movie, like, ooh, just talking about it right now just gave me goosebumps. Like, I especially if you grew up in the the DC metro area, everybody thought that movie was real. Like we thought it was a documentary because of the way that they marketed it. But I remember like, that. you never actually see the monster ever. You just see the results. And yeah. like, that's what's even scarier is like yeah. the whole like unknown is it, the unknown is frightening. And discovery is really playing on that with yeah. this entity. It's, it's so good. And <laughs> that episode was so painful, deliciously painful. Um, and I remember I was watching it and sometimes when I'm watching Star Trek or something energetic by myself, I'll actually watch standing up. And I remember like finding myself edging into the kitchen because 
like I just wanted to feel motion because the idea of not even being able to have any kind of orientation in that big dark space, like it, it really, I think it's a very human, deep human fear and they portrayed it so well. Okay. The other thing, um, I grew up on Anne McCaffrey, who is a fantasy novelist and she wrote a series of books about um, a ship that they had a lot of ships that they would put brains in um, people who were uh, paraplegics or um, were going to die. Otherwise, they would take their brain and put them in ships and they would navigate these ships around. As I talk right now, I feel like I'm really portraying my or exhibiting my dorkiness, but it's a really cool book series. And one of them is called The Ship Who's Saying. Anyway, very treasured memories as a child. And so as I'm watching this and Zora is expressing her identity and her personality while also not being able to feel anything outside, like it, it really got to some of those nightmares I had after what, reading the Anne McCaffrey books. So a deeper level of trauma there. And I just felt like I needed to share that with you, my friends. Thank you. Like <laughs> I didn't realize that you had to deal with that. That's... <laughs> Yeah, it was it was very Star Trek to me because it 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 sounded very and to bring them back you know bring one of my favorites back data, it it was a very data esque conversation that they were having in these episodes about Zora and its desire to be autonomous. I have feelings and therefore I exist and I'm a living thing. Like I thought that was really really cool. And, and when they started speaking to Zora about responsibility, and like hey we get that you have feelings but like just having them does not, that's not enough. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you care about these things then sometimes you have to find a way to control them. And like, that's, that's been a, a theme within Star Trek for a very, very long time. And it's one that I'm glad that they revisited. I'm excited that it's, uh, that this is happening with it. Cause I think it, it's another just, again, kind of, of, of great exploration to see where they're going to go with it. Um, I, I'm a fan of, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Justice League, like animated shows. Um, I've been following uh, Young Justice for as long as it's been on, and and, and it's still going. And they have um, bio ships that are these living ships that are characters, and and you constantly get to see them going through just as much uh, activity, especially in these uh, latter few seasons, these newer seasons, um, in terms of having community, having their own conscience, and and trying to make these moral decisions. Um, and it's also a big part of the show Andromeda, if anyone ever watched Andromeda for five seasons or so. Oh, yes. Um, that, that Andromeda was a living ship and, 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 and not the only living ship that you encounter in that series. Um, Wasn't so her name Moira? Uh, um, uh, no, they no, think the ship itself was, uh, Andromeda still, but, um, um. Okay, my bad. Yeah, no, no, no. I was gonna say I think it was like uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the the woman who who played the part. It was like it, one of the things that was neat about Andromeda is that there was still like a human form that that she could take, um, and so you still got to like see this lifelike embodiment from time to time. But but it was just neat to like see that come back again uh, in this way. And it's it's also been this I think really beautiful slow burn <laughs> of um for. Uh, um, lack of better wording, I'd say at least, since we already know about the burn in in this world. Um, but in bringing Zora more and more to life and letting it be this, like, wait, how much? It, oh, 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 this, oh, that, oh, that. Like, it's been fun to to have that unfolding. I also love that Zora loves musicals. Yeah, 
So I've read tidbits about a lot of the actors being in musicals, and I know Anthony Rapp was in Rent, of course. Um, and Wilson Cruz. Ah, okay. What was he, Wilson Cruz in? Um, he was in Rent. He was Angel. He was. In Rent. Yeah. Oh, so they were how both, did they were I both, miss that? Both OG Rent. <laughs> how did I miss that? Oh, yeah. And they they thought about um, when they were talking about how many jumps Stamets was going to make. Um, they thought about using 525,600 uh. in, in reference to how many minutes, you know, the song. So, uh, but they chose, they, they decided that was, that was just way too much. Too um, on the nose, yeah. Too, yeah. Too yeah. <laughs> so I love that that's carrying through as an attribute of Zora. I think that, that you're right. That's just, just delightful. I just love that there's so many theater nerds that are Trekkies now. Like, that's just fantastic. Like, it's just such a natural, like, evolution where it's just like you're putting theater nerds into star trek and they're becoming the next generation of characters to emulate and look up to it's just like as being that i that i am both a trekkie and a theater nerd from when i was growing up it's like yeah that makes sense that's perfect yeah <laughs> well there's a certain amount of suspension of disbelief when you're watching a musical like someone they're, they're literally on the face of it in crazy clothes singing um very loud with other people and doing dance moves about something that is metaphorical. And so I think that kind of suspension of disbelief comes so easy to us theater nerds that, you know, it's just natural to love sci-fi because yeah. you're obligated. If you're not obligated, you don't have to, but there's, you have more fun with it. If you suspend your disbelief. hundred percent. There's also this great fan fiction that we all get to have now of like Mark and angel eventually ran off together and somehow ended up in space. Oh my gosh, I love that. In the future, yeah. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> and, and they're married. And Mark Mark went back into the mycelial network to resurrect uh, the dead angel. Yeah, it's fantastic. And he kind of has some of the same personality, right? I mean, that's like Rent too. You know, I mean, that's exactly what happened with Rent. So it's just like it. It yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna ruminate on that for a while. It's Rent written itself. <laughs> All right, so this, I think, segues into a game I want to play. And I, I told you guys about it earlier so that you would have time to think about it. But um, sometimes we sci-fi nerds have a hard time evangelizing to non-sci-fi nerds about Star Trek because we start talking about port nacelles and um, all of the other fun buzzwords that Trek has. So... Let's real quick for the next 30 seconds list all of the trekky words that turn people off when we talk to them. Oh man. Like warp drive or Vulcan. Yeah, Klingons. Um I mean a lot of the phrases, you know, like I mean uh, resistance is futile. That's 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 mm, there it is. That's what you have <laughs> That's what you have to resist the most. You have to resist <laughs> quoting it and, or yeah. doing – you cannot do the Vulcan salute because if somebody's like, oh, so what have you been watching? I've been watching Star Trek Discovery, and they're just like, oh, I've never gotten into Star Trek. And you're just like, like that's highly illogical. Ah, oh, you just shot yourself in the foot. They're never going to watch it now because they didn't get the reference you just made. Like, yeah. it's Well, and some yeah. people even get turned off with, like, the word space. Like, I don't know how many people have been tortured by their science teachers in high school, but, like – you start talking about sciencey stuff and they're like, ah, no. And it's hard to convince them that there's relationship and human stories involved. So like if you couldn't say space and you couldn't say ship or warp drive 
or light years or any of the species names, how would you describe to someone your favorite moment from this season? From this season, okay. From this season. Okay, um, imagine, imagine the conversations you have with your friends where you're really, really, really passionate about something and you're telling them about it. And then for some reason, completely inexplicably, completely inexplicable to yourself, you convert into a strange voice and you start talking in that strange voice about how you're going to do the thing. I'm specifically talking about the scene where Tilly and Culber are talking about how Tilly's going to save the world. I'm going to save the galaxy with math. <laughs> like that was so, again, that was such a nerd moment, but it was so genuine because that's exactly what people like that act like, because you're just like, I'm going to save the world with math. Like I was like, yeah, that, that, that's it. There it is right there in a nutshell. And like, if you want to see that humanity is going to evolve, but all the things that all the quirks and all of the idiosyncrasies that make us wonderful and beautiful are still going to exist in the future. This is the show you want to watch. BJ. Oh, I'm like trying to even figure out how do I, um, <laughs> it's like, so I, I think what I end up doing is I just try to compare things to things that other people might like be aware of. Um, and so it's like, all right, in, in, in the episode that was big for me, because I just I don't know, it was neat. There's this guy in in the sh in the series. He's he's dating the main woman and he's kind of like the blue people from Avatar. OK, so. <laughs> The blue guy from Avatar in the Star Trek world dating the main chick goes to his Avatar world and he's there for like a bar mitzvah. And it's just like, you know, <laughs> reconciling with family because he hasn't been around since like many mitzvahs, but he's back for this mitzvah. And it's like, this is going to be the mitzvah where we're going to like mitzvah it right from here on out. And then it's this sort of weird thing where it's like post mitzvah and he's ready to change his life. And as he's leaving, there's like a deep impact moment and no one knows what has happened, but suddenly life is no longer what it was supposed to be in this future. We still know nothing about. Uh, <laughs> I think it's pretty clear about like, <laughs> at least what I'm <laughs> trying to talk about when we go to like follow book back to Kwai John and Kwai John is no more after you finally feel like maybe we're going to learn more about Kwai John. Um, it was, it was great. And it, it destroyed me. <laughs> oh man. I love. Okay. So I'm going to try. Um, two diplomats go and visit some really weird people who love nature and then royally screw it up. And as these people are trying to kill them, one wants to go back um, to, to, sh to kill them all, while the other wants to find some way to, while being shot at by these strange people, to convince them that they're good. Is that right? Did I get it right? That's what happened, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's an op opening scene with the yeah, butterfly people. Yeah. I was going to say the butterfly people, right? <laughs> angry, yeah. angry, angry butterfly people um, are trying to kill you, but one of you is not shooting and is just trying to um, broker some peace. Broker some peace. <laughs> and then the only other thing I would try to explain to people is like 
my favorite horror scene now. And that, but the only way to really describe that would be to talk about, um, yeah, your your vessel falls into the nothing from the never-ending story, and Wally oh. screams and dies, and yeah, Nobody everyone almost dies. It, right? Yeah, like that's just not a way to entice people to watch the show. No, unless they really like horror movies. And then... if you compare it to the never-ending story for the sake of trauma, then never, no one's ever gonna watch it. <laughs> Remember that scene when the horse dies? No, uh, why would I want to watch that again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's fair. Oh, did, uh, did any of you ever read that book? Did everybody ever read The NeverEnding Story as a book? No. Because in the book, the, the horse can talk. And the horse is like, no, just leave me a tray. No, just leave me. Oh, my no, gosh. No, it's so much worse. Oh, it's so bad. I was always too scared to read it as a book after the movie. It was like, this is a book I don't even want in the house. I don't want it in my local library. <laughs> I had when issues I was... with that. I had issues with Jumanji. Like, <laughs> Oh, man. Well, Jumanji is just dangerous because, I mean, if you have it, then, you know, you're going to get trampled by elephants and stuff. So, yeah. Or get That's sucked a... into a jungle for forever. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Nobody wants that. All right. So we're going to switch gears again. Um, and, Mike, you wanted to talk about how to critique shows like yeah. Star Trek without being a bigot. Yes. So I call this my uh, my mic talk. It's like a TED talk, only better. Um, how do you critique Star Trek Discovery without being a bigot or an asshole, just in general? There, there's a lot of different things going on with Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard, for that matter, that all of you old school Star Trek fans may not really be on board with. And that's unfortunate because there's so much good that's going on. And saying things like, this isn't my Star Trek, not really the best route to go. And the reason why is because uh, the one of the most important characters, one of the most important actors, one of the, the central pieces of Star Trek lore is Leonard Nimoy. And he had just an amazing quote that he made where he was talking about like how you have to be willing to accept what Star Trek is here for. Canon is only important to certain people because they have to cling to their knowledge of the minutia. Open your mind, be a Star Trek fan and open your mind and say, where does Star Trek want to take me now? This is what discovery is. It's, it's new. It's the next generation, you know, pardon the, the reference to the ser old series. But there's so much more going on here that's different. This is not an old 22-episode serial that shows up in syndication. That's the other thing, too. You have to realize that old Star Trek was set up a certain way because of the limitations of technology. They had individual episodes because you didn't know when or, whether or not you were going to be able to watch every single episode. You may have things going on. There was no DVR. There was no streaming services yet. Yeah, sure. You could record it on VHS, but VHS tapes were expensive. Like not everybody was able to do these sorts of things. So they had to make them episodes of the week for the most part so that anybody could come in at any point and understand what was going on. It had to be accessible. Star Trek Discovery is doing that only in a completely different way. Instead of making every episode a jump-in point where you can pick it up at any point, again, it's a streaming service. You can watch the entire thing once it's out, or you can watch it week by week like we've been doing. But it needs to be accessible in a completely different way. But this is more about being accessible because of its representation. It wants to be access access accessible 
to all people. We want people of color to be able to watch this. We want um, non-binary folk to be able to watch this. We want people in the LGBTQ community to watch this and not just see a thing on TV, but see representation because representation is important. It matters. And this is something that has been a key tenant of Star Trek since the very beginning. It was the, I mean, we had uh, a representation of a Russian um, navigator. We had a Japanese navigator. We had a black communications officer. Like, they made sure that this was a diverse cast back in the 60s when this was unheard of. So these are the kind of things that are vastly important. These are these things that tie to what Star Trek is. But when you're critiquing it, critique things like, I don't like the fact that they're using all CGI models for the uh, ships. That's cool because I'm old school. And let me tell you something I loved from the movies was the practical models they used for the Star the starships that the enterprise that they used in the motion picture and Rathacon and Star Trek three, the search for Spock. Like, I think it was beautiful. It was a work of art. And like, I get that we can do a lot of cool things with CGI, but there was just something really cool about the practical models. I, I really, really enjoyed them. That's a critique that doesn't hurt anybody. You're not saying, I think that there's, there's too much representation. It's taking away from the story. That's not the kind of critique you want to make <laughs> because you may feel that way, but that's basically telling other people, I don't care about your problems. Like we were talking about the pronoun thing. When you say those sorts of things, even if you're you're coming from a place that may be good in your head, it's not in good it, it's not in good faith. And I know that nobody wants to purposefully hurt other people's feelings. Maybe there are some people out there who do, but I know for the for the big picture, most people aren't interested in doing that. So that's an example, something like that. The special effects, there's still a lot of issue with the lens flare. I know people don't like that because that's that's a common complaint. I personally think it looks more realistic because I feel like that's what it would look like in space because you don't have an atmosphere to filter out any of the light. Whatever, you know, like to each their own. Um, another critique that people have made, which honestly we haven't seen. Actually, no, I take that back. We have. Um, they there was an updated makeup model of what the Ferengi look like in the 31st century. Actually, no, we, what century are we in now? We're 900 years. 32nd, I 32nd. think. 32nd, yeah. Okay. The Ferengi look different than they did in Star Trek The Next Generation, in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Again, if you want to critique that, I don't like the way that the new makeup looks. Okay, fine. But also understand, too, that these are probably closer to the original models that they wanted to create in the 90s when they created these characters. But they weren't able to because of technology. But because te technology has advanced so much, they now can do this. It's the same thing with the critique that people had on the Klingons. Well, I don't like the new designs of the Klingons. Okay, but this is probably what they wanted them to look like, but were limited because of technology. You can critique them without making it a thing. Same thing with Tilly. Poor Tilly, poor Mary Wiseman, poor Tilly gets gets crapped on on a regular basis because of how awkward her character is. There's also other things that they crap on Tilly about, which is here again. Here's the delineation. What can you say about Tilly? Well, I'm used to the Star Trek characters being very like noble and very like proper and very um, not put regal. together. Put together. Thank you. Thank you, Mariah. Um, I'm here for you. Tilly's a mess. Tilly is a, a, a walking ball of anxiety. Uh, she said the F word. Um, okay. 
I understand that some people get offended by this, and that's and that's fine. But I want to point out how accurate this is. This is not the Enterprise. The Enterprise is the flagship of the United Federation of Planets. It is the best of the best, your top people, your most put-together people in the fleet. Discovery is a science ship, a ship full of nerds. Some of us are nerds. I'm a nerd. And nerds can sometimes be awkward. Tilly is awkward. This is so perfectly written. I can't even begin to describe like how perfect she is when it comes to a character of someone being awkward, incredibly intelligent, but also doubting themselves all the time. Additionally, too, for anybody who is like uh, characters like this shouldn't exist in the future because Star Trek The Next Generation and, and the original Star Trek never did anything about that. Uh, first off, you're a liar and you never watch Star Trek because I'm going to point to one person and his name is Lieutenant Broccoli. Yay! Awkward ass <laughs> Broccoli. Let me tell you about that dude and his holodeck addiction. Like <laughs> that dude, you want to that. <laughs> I love Barkley so much. Like he was so weird and awkward and wonderful, but seeing the growth from that character as he went through the series was fantastic. But still, that's what I'm pointing out is like, you can critique these things without being a jerk about it. And like, there's so much good from this show. We see incredibly strong, powerful characters. There's things that even I trying to be as progressive as I possibly can be, are I'm uncomfortable with that they do like there was it was the last episode or yeah it was the last episode of season two of Discovery when they're about to fight control Discovery and the Enterprise are teaming up and they're going to kick some ass right but every single person on that ship made a point that they had to give a big emotional speech to somebody about how much they love them and how much they cared for them and like this is what you mean to me and like everybody had to have their turn right <laughs> And I remember watching this and thinking, I was like, this isn't the last day of high school. Like, we're not all graduating. We're never going to see each other again. Like, J Jesus Christ, get yourself together. Like, arm some photon torpedoes and let's go kick some ass. But then I stopped and I thought to myself, I was like, that's nonsense. Because if I've been serving with somebody for over a year, for most of my career, if we went to the academy together, instead of being this put together, I need to be stoic and I need to be Jean-Luc Picard standing there and not showing emotion on the bridge of the Enterprise, I want to tell my friends how much they mean to me in case we die because of the overwhelming odds that are stacked against us. Because I don't want to die without letting them know how much I love them. And I had to come to grips with that. The fact that I still had this residual, like, leftover, you need to be stoic and you shouldn't be showing your emotions sort of thing. Like, it is what it is. And whether I was comfortable or uncomfortable with that, those moments in this series doesn't make them bad. It makes them different. And different's not bad. Thank you. I've said my piece. <laughs> well, yay! Mm. Um, by the way, to all of those countries that do not have access to Discovery right now, I'm very sorry. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think that got fixed. Did it? Oh, please tell me it did. Yeah, hang on a second, because initially uh, they pulled it off in Netflix, and I think they fixed it. Well, I know they use they're using Pluto, but that isn't accessible to all the countries. No, and additionally, like, um, here we go. Uh, November 24th, 2021, Star Trek Discovery returns. Hang on. Oh, here we go. Okay, so Star Trek Discovery International distribution plans unveiled. Season 4 heads overseas November 26th on Paramount Plus Pluto TV. So I guess it's limited. Yeah, so if you don't have access to Pluto, which is unfortunate. 
So to all of you out there who don't get to experience it, I'm so sorry because it is so fabulous. And there was a moment, Mike, in your speech that reminded me of the fact that not everyone has access to it. Oh, that's unfortunate. I know. I'm looking through it right now. I wonder, it's saying uh, Paramount Plus is available in Australia, Argentina, Bolivia, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, Denmark, Dominican. It's a pretty extensive list here. And then. Okay, well, then I'll stop being sad. Here, let me share it with you. How about that? (laughs) Yeah, share it with me. Maybe this will help ease your pain. Thank you. Um, by the way, I found out that Doug Jones, Saru, um, has been given the chair award by the Hollywood Makeup Artists and Hairstylists Guild, which is a new thing that they're doing to honor people who are nice in the makeup chair. Wow. They need to give Doug Jones every award. Like, I already just want him to be an instant EGOT because he's phenomenal, isn't he? And like, I love him. And like the nicest of human beings. Yeah. I just thought it was cool that their first chair, first of all, that they're doing a chair award, because I'm sure they get some people in there who are just rude and nasty while they're trying to put prosthetics on their faces. Um, and that the first one is going to Doug Jones. So yay, Doug Jones. Congratulations. Way to go, Doug. Congratulations, Doug. Yay. I All love right. seeing his progression, too, as Saru. Like, seeing him change has been really, really cool, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that he's so honest with um, Burnham. Oh, you know, I also, side note, I also loved his weird flirtation that he has with the Klingon, with the uh, Vulcan Chancellor. Oh, my God, yes! it's so good. It's so good. Well, and she's so cute because her face lights up and she, yeah. like, tenses up in a happy, perky way, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, oh, it's, it's so great. And as I much don't as know... you'll get from a Vulcan, you know? Like, but, yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And I'm very curious to see how far they go with that, because one one issue I have with um, portrayals of relationships is they're usually they have to be sexual in nature, um, just in media in general. And to see something that is not sexual, but just as deep, I think, is really important for our culture. So I agree. Chemistry is palpable on it between meditating and plants. It's it's just like (laughs) you, you, you. I don't know. It's gripping. It's great. That is a deep relationship right there, man. You don't share plants with anybody. No. Oh, man. I just I just killed two plants that a friend of mine gave me. Like I, today when I was writing notes for this podcast, I looked over and I was like, yeah, it's dead. I can't pretend anymore. It's dead, Jim. Yeah. So on that note, um, before we go, I just want our wonderful listeners to remember to search out BJ Robinson uh, by typing at Will BJ Rob or at tough.talk2020 and visit greatgeekrefuge.com for articles, podcasts, fabulous merch, much of which is designed by Mike Lunsford and a whole lot more. Thank you so much for listening to Trek Talk or whatever we're going to be called from here on out. And I pray you stay safe and feel seen by those you love. As always, don't be a juice bag. Thank you for listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Make sure you check out our website, greatgeekrefuge.com, for all of our awesome articles and wonderful podcasts.
This has been Pirate Radio Network production, Juice Bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy.